You're listening to The Savings Tip Jar with Dom Beattie and Harrison Asprey, powered by savings.com.au, your home of consumer finance news, guides and product comparisons. G'day, welcome to another episode of The Savings Tip Jar podcast with myself, Dom Beattie, and as always joined by Harrison Asprey. And uh, we are talking in the immediate aftermath of the RBA's latest decision to hold the cash rate steady this month at 4.1 percent would you make of that uh that decision harrison yeah look dom it's good to be here again but um it's probably a move that uh or a lack of a move that uh, didn't shock the market but uh personally it shocked me although am i unsurprised not really um phil Lowe doesn't need another excuse to be a dove um and yeah it's it it's another move and uh the i think phil Lowe said that they're waiting to see some more economic data come out before they move again so um, yeah, well, time will tell if that will be a good move and the history books will show it in years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing that's obviously very affected by um, interest rates tends to be the property market. Uh, we actually have an interesting chat coming up later on in the program that we recorded actually that's before right. the um, the RBA's decision. And that was with uh, Cameron Kusher from PropTrack talking about, uh, you know, all things property, but particularly the uh, phenomena of um, house prices tending to double every seven to ten years. Yeah, we research from PropTrack is actually suggesting that is no longer the case. So that's a, that's a pretty good chat coming up. But um, yeah, we'll just get stuck straight into the news, which we've obviously already covered the uh, the top topic for a bit. But did you want to expand on that a little bit more, Has? Yeah. So the big elephant in the room, as always, is the RBA movement. So we're fresh from uh, looking at to see what Phil Lowe and his and his gang of thieves, or should I say, just board members, uh, did. So, uh, or what they didn't do is uh, they held the cash rate at four point one percent, as Dom mentioned at the top, uh, which is still at an eleven year high. Um, but yeah, it uh, a lot of I think only one in six uh, market sort of economists predicted a hike, um, whereas most sort of said yeah they'll they'll pause for this month for July. Um, and yeah, Phil Lowe in his post-meeting statement said that um, they're waiting to see uh, some more economic data come out. So I think our quarterly inflation comes out, and our mm. unemployment data, you know, um, and inflation looks like it's coming down too because the monthly indicator um, that was released last week showed there was a 5.6% inflation, annualized inflation rate in the 12 months to May, uh, which is quite a, um, quite a step down from previous months. Um, and a lot of economists got got that one wrong as well because it was a much lower than anticipated. Um, but it, but if you look to what you know um, the world was doing twelve months ago, you know um, the Ukraine sort of war had just taken off. You know petrol petrol prices were spiking at over two dollars a liter, and there they stayed for ages and things like that. Um, and if you're interested in when the RBA will cut. Um, it's they're still not forecast to cut the cash rate to around till around late 2024 to 25. So um, although it's a hold for now, uh, it could remain elevated for a longer period of time, which would be the true test, wouldn't it, Dom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think even with rates where they are at the moment, there's going to be a lot of people struggling. Even if there is no more rate hikes, um, we're already seeing signs of people dramatically cutting down their spending. People who are hanging on by their fingernails onto their their, their current homes, uh, and I guess just holding out until the RBA cuts the cash rate. Um, there were some people just a few months ago saying there could be cash rate cuts 
this year, towards the end of this year. Mm. Not really seeing any commentators actually suggesting that at the moment. Um, at best, they could be cutting early next year, but probably getting ahead of ourselves talking about another cut when there is you know, still a very strong chance that they will hike again mm. uh, next month. And I believe that's what most economists and the, the market uh, is currently saying. So we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, and uh, in the meantime, uh, in the property market news, despite the, all these uh, cash rate rises uh, that we've been seeing, uh, Australian property prices managed to rise 1.1% in June. Wow, wait. That's actually a little bit softer than uh, than the, the price rise we saw in May. Um, so, it, you know, there's a bit of a sign that the rate of growth is slowing there. I think some people are warning that um, that there are still uh, some very high downside risks for the um, the, the property market uh, to, to take a bit of a tumble. Um, we already had a bit of a steep drop in property prices uh, and then before they started rebounding. But what is very rare in the property market is, is seeing a double dip in like in um, in property prices dropping, mm. usually the cycle is very long over several years, several years of rising, and then maybe a couple of years of falling. But um, there are there's still a very strong chance that we could see um, property prices fall off a bit, particularly if the RBA was to hike again in August. Yeah, that's right. Um, it sort of defies all logic on the surface with uh, house prices rising, despite. Um, despite all the cash rate increases, and it's uh, the cash rate increases are a very blunt instrument, but there's a lot of factors um, out there too. So you know we've got sort of re- record migration, or at, at a strongest level in around 15 years. Um, so they come into the rental market and then ostensibly look to buy as well. Um, there's a lot of FOMO driving the market, so fear of missing out as well. And um, at the end of the day, um, APRA data shows that uh, a lot of people still have a lot of cash floating around um, and a lot of people are waiting in the wings to maybe buy their first property you know even even me included so um, yeah uh, it, it seems like there's just waves and waves of people um, who are always willing to stump up the prices for a property and um, I think our our friend of the savings tip jar podcast Dr. Shane Oliver from AMP he said a lot of people are just getting sick of um, all the cash rate hikes it's becoming just more boring old news so they know the mortgage rates are going to be high um, but it's certainly looking better to pay a high interest rate and a, and a high home loan repayment on a high home price than it is fronting the rental market at the moment, which is also bonkers. So it's kind of come full circle, you know, um, both rentals and to buy is just insane right now. Um, and yeah, but if we, if we look on the other side of the coin, you know, if the RBA holds the cash rate at a high level, for a long time then we could start to see some real pain in the market you know um because a lot of those fixed rates are still rolling off um a lot of people you know don't really know what it means um to face mortgage rates this high yet they've been untested at this high rate and um, i think i saw some data too i think from core logic that said uh currently only 350 basis points worth of cash rate rises have actually been passed on to mortgages so far so that kind of goes to show that there's still more yet to come. Um, so yeah, bad news for mortgage holders right now. Um, but I thought I'd transition to the deposit side of things. So um, there's currently a lot of competition in the uh, term deposit market. Uh, so we're seeing new highs, uh, especially across the six and 12 month terms. So if we look to some providers such as, you know, Judo Bank, um, it offers 5.3% for 12 months. Um, and weirdly enough, 5.32% for six months. So that extra two basis points on an annualized basis. 
Um, ING also offers 5% for 12 months. Um, and other 5% 12-month club members include uh, a lot of customer-owned banks, actually. So, um, you know, we spoke to Stephanie, Stephanie Elliott from the Customer-Owned Banking Association. Uh, mutual banks are offering a lot of competition. So those banks include GNC Mutual, The Mutual, uh, Bank First, My State, uh, and then other banks as well, including MeBank, Bank of Sydney, and, and a whole host of others, to be honest. So um, with maybe this news uh, off the back of the RBA this afternoon, you know, have we reached the peak of interest rates? Maybe. Um, could it be time to lock in a, a term deposit rate if you've got a whole chunk of cash lying around? Um, we're not here to provide personal financial advice, but yeah, there's a lot of competition, Dom, in the TD space. Yeah, it's worth thinking about, particularly if you're someone that uh, has a fair bit of cash lying around that you don't need access to um, anytime soon. Um, I would definitely be thinking about you know, locking in one of those longer term um, term deposit deals, say you know three years plus, because there could very well be a lot of uh, rate cuts you know in the in the next year or so. Um, and wouldn't it be great uh, with if everyone else is only earning two to three percent in their savings account and term deposits, and you're sitting pretty uh, for years to come still earning over five percent? Um, it's been interesting, I guess, with with all the the, the rate. Um, hikes we've been seeing. We haven't actually seen the average term deposit rate on um, three-year terms yeah, actually changed terms. much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't been bumping up those longer-term rates, probably because they are expecting rate cuts um, in in the in the future. So, yeah, I'd I'd be definitely considering some of those. But um, you know, myself with the, with the big fat mortgage, uh, my priority is just putting all the money as as much money as I can into the offset account. Um, Let's uh, talk a little bit about lending indicators because we did see some figures come out from the uh, the ABS uh, just was it just this week or it was yesterday I think so just yesterday was it yeah mm. uh, just yesterday mm. um, and you know I actually thought these figures would um, perhaps lead the RBA towards um, putting through another rate hike uh, today but uh, apparently not uh, because the the figures showed that there was an eight point six percent increase in um, well, this is the, on the value of owner-occupied housing loan refinances, but there was also borrowing uh, picked up substantially, which was uh, quite surprising uh, to quite a few economists, showing that there is still confidence in the market that people are still going out there, taking out new home loans and, and buying buying homes. Uh, but but yeah, this this actually wasn't a huge surprise to myself because we know, um, well, in regards to the refinancing uh, picking up, isn't so much of a surprise because we know there's a lot of fixed rate home loans expiring. I think we're kind of now uh, probably in the peak of that fixed rate expiry tsunami. Um, something like 86,000 uh, home loans every month between July and December are rolling off from fixed to um, variable rates. One NRL grant for Just rates, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, a core stadium or one of those. Um, so yeah, naturally when people are bumped from those super you know great deals of two percent up to you know the worst variable rate deal you can think of probably seven percent plus they'll be probably looking to refinance and calling up the bank and looking to switch to another provider so i think that's probably driving a lot of refinancing at the moment as well as you know a lot of people just naturally um really feeling the bite of these uh, interest rate rises looking to get themselves a, a rate cut by refinancing so yeah, naturally, refinancing has, has hit a new record high for owner occupiers, um, and uh, yeah, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon as we head through the rest of the year. Yeah, that's that's what I was that's what I was kind of getting 
at just a lot of people waiting in the wings. Um, and NAB economists uh, somehow dug through the data, the ABS data, and found that uh, 56% of loans refinanced in May were rolling off fixed rates, which just goes to show the whole refi tsunami thing is happening right now. Um, and I also thought it was interesting too that if we look at first home buyer data, so um, in the month of May, it was right around 10,000 new homeowners were written to first home buyers, which is up from around the 6,500 mark. So there are a lot of first home buyers um, re-entering the market. Maybe they're going, ah, oh, screw it, you know, I can't be bothered with the rental market. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been living with mum and dad too long. It's time to learn how to adult um, and buy my first home. So, and obviously they've been probably debt-free, at least mortgage-free before, um, and they might have saved up a large amount of cash and they've as yet been unaffected by rate rises, so they're not bearing the month-to-month hit um, and they're entering the market theoretically maybe at the peak of the mortgage market and they're seeing the next you know few years that mortgage rates might come down a little bit again. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of funny money in the market and a lot of funny facts and figures coming out. Um, and to transition that, uh, here to talk about it all is uh, Cameron Kusher from PropTrack. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk to Cam. Now, have you ever heard the old adage that property prices double every seven to 10 years? Well, new research from PropTrack suggests this isn't actually the case, with Australia's median property prices taking over 15 years to double, despite record price booms through the pandemic. Now, to tell us more about this, I'm pleased to say we're joined by PropTrack's Director of Economic Research, Cameron Kusher. Cameron, welcome to the Savings Tip Jar. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on here at such short notice, Cam. We appreciate it. Um, so we'll talk about um, this new PropTrack research that's come out a bit. Uh, so 15.4 years to double house values. That kind of goes against the grain of what Dom was talking about, of doubling every seven to 10 years. Where did this sort of um, old wives tale I guess come about um, and I guess there's kind of a um, a lot of uh, commentary in the market right now you know COVID m- might have been a bit of a housing bubble but 15 years that's that's a lot longer than I would have thought it would have taken to double so can you explain this a little bit? Yeah sure so what we simply looked at was what the current median price is whether that be houses or units and then when was the last time prices were half what they are today and as you said for houses, it was 15.4 years ago. The current median house price is 730000 And for units, uh, the current median unit price is 560000 and it was 17.8 years ago. Now, I've been working in property for about 20 years, and I've, I've always heard that property prices double every 7 to 10 years. And I think for a period there, they certainly did. But if we look at what's happened, say, over the last 15 years, it's been a very different story. Now, there are some markets where prices have doubled in less than 10 years. House prices in Sydney, house prices in Hobart, house prices in regional New South Wales, regional Victoria, regional Tasmania. Um, But generally, that's not been the case. And I think the reason for this is uh, there's a few. Firstly, uh, we've seen interest rates coming down over recent years, but they haven't dropped as dramatically as they did over previous periods. Um, Also, since 2015, in to you know, give a lot more information about um, your savings and your spending. Uh, and we've also seen APRA for the first time ever introduce macro prudential policies, um, which again have made it harder to access finance. Uh, the serviceability buffers have reduced um, how much you can borrow in your borrowing capacity. And all of those things led to lower price growth through about 2015 onwards. 
Uh, we then hit the pandemic and we obviously got really strong price growth through the pandemic. But generally speaking, the market hasn't been as consistently strong in terms of price growth over the past decade or so as it was over previous decades. Aaron, in your research, did you notice any particular characteristics or, or patterns in the data that, that showed which suburbs are more inclined to, to, to be quicker to, to double? Yeah, we certainly did. So we some separate research into the suburbs where prices have doubled quickest. Um, and it was really lifestyle markets. A lot of them very cheap lifestyle markets, you know, sort of out in the middle of nowhere that people probably never would have even considered maybe five years ago. But during the pandemic, it was, okay, let's get out of the city. You know, let's go and buy ourselves a big block of land. Let's live somewhere where we've not been able to live before. So that's been one characteristic. Um, some of the lifestyle markets. So the market in the country that saw prices double the quickest was Boat Harbour, uh, which is up near Port Stephens in New South Wales. And it took 16 months for prices to double uh, in that market. It was the cheapest suburb in that area. And it actually still is the cheapest. It's just that uh, it was kind of forgotten. And then all of a sudden everyone went, oh, look, we're still pretty close to Port Stephens here and prices are pretty cheap. And they pushed up prices significantly. The other area where we've seen prices double re relatively quickly is the outskirts suburbs, particularly of Sydney. Now, part of this is people pushing out during the pandemic. Part of this is also that's where a lot of the new housing is and the quality of housing that was already there was quite low and the quality of the new housing is quite a bit superior. So there is that premium being paid for that new housing. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite an interesting list to have a look at. But uh, yeah, generally very regional. Um, lifestyle outskirts of the capital cities are where we're seeing that strongest price growth. For sure. And at the risk of ruining it for the locals that live in these in these regions, can you give any sort of insider tips on um, any lifestyle coastal suburbs that might be a bit underappreciated? You know, I've, I've started looking at the south coast of New South Wales and um, even prices down there have kind of started picking up quite dramatically. Um, it might be the Wollongong slash Sydney effect. Um, but are there any sort of hidden gems and, um, yeah, because it seems like, like anywhere that's in spitting distance of a, of a patch of sand these days is uh, quite expensive. It, it really is. It used to be that there were a lot of hidden gems out there, but I think what we saw during the pandemic is all of those hidden gems really got realized. And that was because it used to be that if you wanted to be in a coastal location, you needed to still be close to the capital city. So it was areas like, you know, Wollongong or even Newcastle, though that's probably stretching it a little bit for Sydney. Places like the Golden Sunshine Coast um, is places like, you know, Geelong, the Surf Coast and the Bass Coast in Victoria, um, you know, places like the southwest of WA. But now it's stretched very much further afield because people have realised that, um, you know, or they did realise during the pandemic that I don't need to be in an office all the time. I can work from home and I can live where I need to now. Whether that's going to continue to be the case, I think remains to be seen. We know that businesses are pushing people to get back into the office more than they used to be, and maybe it will be harder to work remotely. But I can't, looking at the data, there's not too many hidden gems uh, on those in those coastal areas that haven't been discovered yet. Uh, the price of coastal properties saw the biggest increase in prices over the last three years or so. Damn. Cameron, let's just get your take on the current state of the market at the moment. Um, we're hearing a lot of people talking about how um, you know, there's not a lot of selling going on, but of those that are selling, it tends to be more investors. Is that the case? And if so, why is why would that be? It's one of the things we're really trying to un 
travel because if you look at last year, so prices started falling last year, um, sales volumes dropped off a long way, and the amount of stock coming to the market was still very low. Fast forward to almost you know, the start of this year, it was completely turned on its head. We've seen a big jump in the number of sales of properties. We haven't seen a jump in the number of listings coming to the market though. So we're still seeing a very low volume of listings and we're seeing more people buying. And the result of this is property prices have started rising. Uh, we're still trying to gather a, a good view on what's happening, but we are hearing that there, and we can see in our data, there are a lot of investors selling out of the market. And that probably makes sense. Um, interest rates have gone up a lot. Um, some of the states have added land taxes to investors. So that's discouraging them from coming into the market, but it's also encouraging some of them to exit the market. And also just if you've overcapitalized over the last few years, and we all remember Phil Lowe saying that you know, he didn't expect interest rates to rise until 2024, and we're not even in 2024, and they're up 400 basis points, um, you're going to be much more inclined to sell off your investment property then you're going to be inclined to sell off your owner-occupied property. So we are seeing uh, increased volume of selling uh, from investors. In terms of the buyers, uh, you know, it, it, it's basically people upgrading and, and downgrading in the market that's driving the activity uh, in terms of when we have open homes at the moment. But there's definitely been that strong rebound in sales, uh, but still a very low volume of stock coming to the market. And it's, it is a bit of a head-scratcher for us because we're saying, well, if someone's buying what's happening with that property that they used to own uh, or that they used to live in. And there's no clear evidence. I mean, I don't know if they're holding it for investment properties, if they already sold during the pandemic and have been renting for the last 12 or 18 months. Um, but it's something we're trying to get a better gauge on. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a bit of a funny market at the moment, but with that in mind, um, do you sort like, what does PropTrack sort of forecast say in the next six to 12 months? Will listings start to stabilize and, you know, also feeding into that as well um, with, uh, you know, stamp duty falling out of favor in, in a few states, um, there's a, a property tax. Will this sort of free up properties and will um, sellers be more likely to exchange freely with um, with listings on, on sites such as uh, on realestate.com.au? Unfortunately, uh, New South Wales has moved away from going down the path of phasing out stamp duty yeah. with the change of government. Um we're, we're certainly big advocates of um, removing stamp duty. Um, whether or not that actually happens, you know, I'm probably pretty doubtful that it's going to happen. And, and the biggest issue is the transition and the loss of revenue when you do that. And politically, you know, telling people that haven't been paying any land tax, but all of a sudden they've got to pay, start paying land tax. Uh, so the PropTrack business is part of the broader REA group. And um, your listeners would probably be be most familiar with realestate.com.au as as part of that business. So we certainly hope that listings come back because it's a, it's an important part of our business. Um, what we're hearing from agents when we talk to them at the moment is it's just that uncertainty at the moment that's stopping people listing. Interest rates are changing every single month. You look at consumer confidence, it's very weak. Some of the other factors, um, the rental market is extremely tight and a lot of people that sell have to transition through the rental market. So it's almost a case of, I can sell my property, but there's nothing on the market to buy and there's nowhere to rent. So why would I sell at the moment? And at some point you have to think there's going to be a circuit breaker to that. Um, in terms of, I mean, when that's going to be, we're not, we're not sure. We, we hope it's tomorrow, but the reality is it, it, it could extend out for a period of time. I think we're probably looking at 
when we get to the point that interest rates are stable for a number of months, then that confidence will start to come back. We've seen with the consumer confidence survey that Westpac put out, even if the Reserve Bank pauses interest rates for one month, there's this big rebound in consumer confidence when that occurs. Um, so imagine that extended for three or four months. In terms of prices, um, we believe that prices are going to continue to rise. Now, I will say we did forecast prices would fall 7 to 10% this year. That did not come to fruition at all. And the basis for that was borrowing capacities are down about 30%. Uh, and we thought that more stock would be coming to the market. Uh, I think we'll continue to see pretty moderate price growth for the rest of this year. Uh, but of course, if there was to be more stock that came onto the market uh, through spring, for example, uh, people that are buying would have, have less negotiating power. Uh, well, sorry, would have more negotiating power and might actually be able to negotiate a better price by playing properties off one another. And it's, it's you know, not out of the realms of possibilities that if there was a lot more stock for sale, we could start to see prices falling again. Definitely one of the only ones expecting property prices to fall this year. So <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. feel too bad. I think that was definitely, uh, yeah, largely Senses. mainstream opinion. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't think anyone's expecting prices to perform the way they have so far this year. Um, Cameron, I'll just get your take on the, uh, the rental market at the moment. We keep hearing there's a bit of a rental crisis going on. Uh, at the moment. And, um, you know, you talked about how investors, a lot of them are selling up. Is that going to make the, the current situation in the rental market worse? And and if so, do we need more people investing in property? It, it's it's the problem, right? Because we, we're making it less attractive to invest. You know, a lot of state governments and, and parts of, um, you know, federal politicians are talking about rental freezes. And if we look at the research from overseas, uh, rental freezes, don't have the don't have the effect that people are hoping. They discourage people from investing. That they see investors exit the market. Unfortunately, in Australia, um, also that you know most rental properties are owned by individuals. They're not owned by corporations like they are in U the US and Europe. Uh, we've got a burgeoning build-to-rent sector, but it's still a very small proportion of the market. Um, and ultimately, the way to fix what's happening in the rental market at the moment is to reduce demand. And you either reduce demand by having fewer people come into the country. No one seems to willing to let that be the case. Or you reduce demand by getting more people to buy their first home and stop renting. And it's very hard to make that leap from renting to owning at the moment because in most instances, paying off a mortgage is more expensive than it is to rent despite the rental growth we've we've had. And you know, borrowing enough at the moment is difficult as well. Uh, the quickest solution is that we need more investors buying properties. But higher interest rates mean better risk-free returns. Um, I think we look at what's happening in, in each state, you know, land taxes going up. Um, we're talking about rental freezes. I think that's just making investors very nervous and they're just sitting on the sidelines at the moment. Uh, longer term, we obviously need to build a lot more housing than we're currently building. But we can say, we can, we can start that right now but in most instances, that stock that we're going to need is inner city apartments and it's going to be three to five years away. So the quickest solution is either get more people buying a first home or get more investors back into the market. Neither of those things look like they're going to happen imminently. I wouldn't be surprised though if later this year we start to see more first home buyers purchasing. And the reason for that is I think they'll just find the rental market way too hard and say, yes, it's going to cost me more, but I don't really care. I want to have my own house, my, my own apartment, my own property that I can do things with. 
rather than the uncertainty of getting turfed down at the end of the lease and having to compete with everyone else to try and find a property. For sure. And it's a bit of the um, unknown at the moment, but is there any sort of research, uh, you know, from prop tracker or just what you've seen that kind of indicates that although investors are exiting the market, which is bad for the rental market, um, it induces more demand there. Is there kind of any, any studies done that say, you know, um, X would be owner occupiers renting now that there's not an investor in the market that it then passes through to be an owner occupier property. It's a, it seems like a bit of a mystery. Yeah. I, I mean, the way I like to look at it is if, if a renter, if, if an investment property is sold, it's either purchased by another investor. So net net, you know, that property is still an investment property or it's purchased by an owner occupier. Uh, now that owner occupier could be someone that already owns a property. Um, so that should make too much of a problem or it's owned by, it's purchased by a first home buyer who's exiting the rental market. But I think the, the issue at the moment is, you know, we've had, so we've got the population of Australia growing at almost 2%. So we need to be growing the pie of rental stock, not reducing it. So with mm -hmm. investors selling out, um, yes, if you look at just the people that are in the country at the moment, if a first home buyer buys that, it means one less renter. But we're not considering all the additional people that are coming into the country. Most of those people don't show up in Australia with their own house. They need to live somewhere and that strain comes on the rental market. So we need to be growing the rental pie rather than shrinking it like we are at the moment. And Cameron, I'll just give you a chance to uh, have a bit of a free plug here. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about you know, who PropTrack are and, and what, it, what it is that you guys do? Sure. So as I mentioned, um, PropTrack's part of the REA group and most people would be familiar with our realestate.com.au, uh, which is probably our, our, our flagship brand. Uh, the PropTrack business is a property data and insights uh, business. Uh, you know, we do things like automated valuations. We do a lot of data and analytics and sell that to our customers, but also use it to power insights on our realestate.com.au website. Um, and obviously it's the brand that all of our economic research and commentary goes out under as well. For sure. And Cam Kusher, I think that's all we have time for on the Savings Tip Jar podcast. Thanks for sharing those really uh, interesting insights. Thanks for having me, Harrison and Dominic. Yeah, cheers. So that was Cameron Kutter, uh, PropTrack's Director of Economic Research with some good insights there into uh, what's happening in the property market space at the moment. What do you think of that, Has? Yeah, it's really good. It's a really nice down-to-earth chat. Um, Cam's a friendly guy and obviously has a lot of data to back up what he's saying um, coming from PropTrack. And PropTrack too, they release a lot of interesting reports, um, things that you might not have thought of before. Um, and yeah, property prices to double dom uh it took it's taking a lot longer than perhaps that seven to ten year saying said um and but still you know if you're doubling doubling your property value in 15 years if it just goes to show if you hold on and ride out the waves and the and ignore all the you know negative commentary and whatnot um and you and you have a sort of longer term investment timeline or you're an occupier and you, you stay in your one home you know you can ride out those waves and you should see some uh good capital gains but you know uh, past performance not an indicator of future performance and all that mm. blah 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 yeah i think you know naturally things can't just keep doubling every seven to ten years because if you think about it, if the average um property price is actually can't remember what it is but say it's eight hundred thousand, uh are we, do we really expect that the average property price in australia will be 
six one point six million uh, in in a few years, and then and then seven to ten years after that, it'll be uh, three point two million, and then just, <laughs> just keep double. Yeah, you know, naturally, the larger a number of of something, the, the harder it is for, for it to, to to double. So yeah, like I think we saw that um, with like that seven to ten year rule rule in inverted commas uh, might have come from the 2000s where we sort of did see that growth mm-hmm. um, but that was off kind of low basis in the mm-hmm. in the 1990s but yeah you're right you can't continue that forever because I think the median house price in Sydney uh, we're talking about houses about 1.4 million to 1.6 million dollars so I imagine in wow. 2033 it's worth 3.2 million um, you know for a, some dog box in western Sydney mm-hmm. so I don't think many people would be willing to put up with that and you'd see rights in the streets. So yeah, that's that's probably why simply. But yeah, no, good chat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm afraid that's uh, all we've got time for on the Savings Tip Jar podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us for another week of finance chats. Um, be sure to join us again uh, around the same time next week. Um, and as always, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. You can get in touch with us via Savings to Come to Use, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, and also shoot us an email at inquiries at savings.com.au. That's inquiries with an E. Harrison, thank you for joining me on this great podcast again. Thanks, Dom. I bid you farewell and I bid listeners farewell. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>